Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. What's all this about? The flags, the festivities, the cultural dress. And uh, I've seen a, seen a few people that I think we just do this, like Pastor Sammy. I was going to ask him what, what country he was wearing that Hawaiian shirt from. I think it was just a chance not to wear a tie today. But the cultural dress and, and, and the cuisines we enjoyed yesterday at the Missionary Christmas and decorating all of those Christmas trees and all of the gifts that you brought for the missionaries the five different families that have traveled in, and all of these will be new uh, missionary families for our church to support. We, there, none of them are church, uh, missionaries that we've supported previously. And, and uh, by the way, I do want to stop and say thank you. Every year I'm, I'm amazed and I'm, I'm honored and humbled by the generosity of God's people. Uh, I, I have to, just by looking, estimate thousands and thousands of dollars of gifts and gift cards and financial gifts were given to the missionaries yesterday and hundreds of hours in decorating those booths and bringing food and all of that. And so thank you to the church family for your involvement. It's one thing for a pastor to announce an idea or, or an event or a plan from the pulpit, but if the church family doesn't support it and get behind it, it it's not going to go anywhere. And, and so thank you for all that you did yesterday to minister to and be a blessing to our missionary families. But what's this all about? The reason we do this every year is we want our church to stay on mission. And one of, if not the biggest mission as a church family, what God left us in his great commission and in the book of Acts to the New Testament local church, why we exist as a church is to get the good news of Jesus Christ and share it with every person that we can, regardless of where they live. God has called us to do that, and, and we, want, we started our series in Acts over a year ago. We started this verse by verse through Acts, and this is message number 44 going verse by verse through Acts. And where we started a year ago, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, as, as the video said this morning, right before Jesus ascended back into heaven, what were his last recorded words to the disciples that were standing there watching him? He said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. I want you to share. What's a witness? A witness is just someone that, that shares and tells what they've seen and heard. I want you what they've experienced. I want you to share and tell what you've seen, heard, and experienced as a follower of me. I want you to tell other people how I changed your life. And here's what he said, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, that was their headquarters, that was their home base, in their city, if you will, in Judea, that was going out a little bit farther, I guess we could maybe say our state, the state of California, if we were to try to maybe apply it to, to today, and, and to Samaria, by the way, Samaria was a place that the religious Jews would never have thought to go to tell somebody about Jesus, and so sometimes we might say that's our country, but the reality is, that's places that you would think of. I really don't care if they ever hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Samaria was a place Jesus, remember he said, we must needs go through Samaria. And they were like, what? Jews don't go through Samaria. You remember the woman at the well? She said, what are you doing here? You, you have no dealings with the Samaritans? And Jesus said, I want the gospel to go to those people that you would never think to take the gospel to. And then he said, to the uttermost part of the earth. 
And the book of Acts is the story of seeing how God fulfilled that commission. We've been, we've been walking through that and seeing how that came to fruition. That was the, the commission, the command. That was the, the words, the challenge that he left his followers with in Acts in chapter number 1. And so we seek to have missionaries here often. You heard from three different missionaries to restricted access nations just about a month ago on three different Sundays. We had them come in and, and preach. But once a year, we set aside this time and have what we call our missions extravaganza. We set aside this time for a concentrated fo focus over four days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, a concentrated focus on the need of the gospel around the world. And we emphasize the importance of the worldwide missions program here at Liberty. Why? Because we want to do all that we can. By the way, we want to do all that we can here in Orange County, don't we? God has placed us here. This is our Jerusalem, if you will. God has placed us here to share the good news of Jesus Christ in Orange County, but we don't want to stop there. And so we send and we support church planners in California and in America and beyond that, we, we seek to, beyond that, support and send as many as we possibly can on every continent of the world, except for Antarctica. We don't have any missionaries there yet. If you know of one going there, let us know. We'll be the first to support them. But we want to see the gospel go to every corner of the world. Where did we get this idea of missions and sending people out? I think we understand because of where we've been. We get this idea right from the book we've been studying, the book of Acts. And we've been walking through this, and I hadn't planned it this way. In fact, um, a few months ago, I wasn't planning to preach at Missions Conference. In the five years I've been here, I've never preached the Sunday morning message. I've never preached any message at Missions Conference. We've always had a guest uh, pastor in or a, a guest missionary in. I think it was last year, I think it was Pastor Tomlinson um, that preached most of the messages for us during our Missions Conference. And, but as we got closer, I realized where we were going to be in our study in Acts in chapter number 16. And, and I felt that the Lord had put us here just for the perfect time on this Sunday, Missions Extravaganza, where we find ourselves in our study today. If you have your Bible, would you turn there to Acts in chapter number 16? And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to grab that if you're following along on a device or an iPad. I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible, and, and at times we'll read aloud together. I'd encourage you to follow along. I say this almost every Sunday. Any power... In my preaching is from the Word of God, and so I'd encourage you to see it for yourself as we spend this time together. Our study this morning in Acts 16, it finds us right at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And I want to review where we've been. We have that map of the first missionary journey that we can throw up there. In Acts 13 and 14, we walked with Paul, and he, he began in Antioch, right above the word Syria there. There's Seleucia, then Antioch. Antioch, the church at Antioch, sent Paul and Barnabas out. They were the first recorded missionaries sent out of a church there that we, and I guess you could say the disciples were kind of missionaries as they left Jerusalem and took the gospel to other places. But the, the model, the pattern of what we see a local church ordaining and sending out men to go take the gospel to another land, we see that happening in the church at Antioch. And you can follow the numbers. They sailed over to Cyprus, where Barnabas was from, and one, two, three. We went through all of those spots in Acts 13 and 14. And you'll recall those that have been with us the last few weeks, and Paul and Barnabas get back to Antioch, and, and number nine, it brings them back where they started, and they shared everything that had happened, all of the people that had been saved, all of the churches that had been started, the Jews that got saved, the Gentiles that got saved, all that God had been doing, and the Bible says they were there a long time. 
They were hanging out in Antioch for a while. We don't know uh, exactly how long, but it says a long time. And, and they're there in Antioch. And while they're there, they're teaching and they're preaching at that, they're sending church there. Some false teaching and some doctrinal division, some doctrinal error began to seep in. And we looked at that the last two Sundays. You remember that the, the Pharisees came in and said that you had to follow the Jewish traditions, the Jewish laws, you had to be circumcised. They were telling the Gentiles you had to be circumcised to be a true Christian. There was false teachers saying you had to be circumcised just to get saved, legalism in salvation. Then there were some Pharisees that were talking about it after salvation, legalism adding works to our sanctification. And, and they, were, they were there and they're dealing with these legalists, these Judaizers. And the church said, Paul and Barnabas said, we got to figure this out. Because if we don't settle this, we're going to have chaos in all these new young baby churches if this false teaching gets out there. So they went down in Acts 15 to the council at Jerusalem. We looked two weeks ago, great unity in the church. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, they all stand up and say, Gentiles, you don't have to do all these Jewish traditions. You don't have to follow these laws. All you need is Jesus. And aren't you glad this morning that 2,000 years later, all you need is Jesus. That's all you need. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to have Jesus as your personal Savior. You don't have to have grown up the way I grew up, and you don't have to have all the same traditions that I have, and you don't have to do all the same things I do. Now, if it's a command in Scripture and Christ is in us, we ought to do those things, but you don't have to, you don't have, to have grown up exactly the same way I did. You need to know the same Jesus that I met 32 years ago. And they've dealt with that in Acts 15. So Paul and Barnabas finished their first missionary journey. They get back to Acts 15, in Acts 15. They go down to Jerusalem. They settle the problem. They get back. They tell the church, good news, guys. Nobody has to go to the doctor this week. Nothing has to change. All is good. You, you have Jesus all you need. And there was great unity. And then we saw last week when unity turns to division. Paul and Barnabas had stood together for doctrinal unity and now they're struggling with personal dissension, personal disunity. Barnabas wanted to take his, his nephew with them on the second missionary journey. John Mark had deserted them on the first one or had gone back home on the first one. Paul was like, I don't have time for quitters. So Paul said, absolutely not. John Mark's not coming with us. And we looked at that last week. And so we saw last week that God took their division and he used it for multiplication. He sends Barnabas and uh, John Mark out, and they go to Cyprus. Can we throw up the uh, second missionary map there, if you will? And they sail from Antioch to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas start in Antioch. They go to Tarsus, Derby, Lystra. You'll see it here this morning. By way of review, let's pick up where we finished off last week. Chapter 15, verse number 39. I'll give you the introduction, and then we'll pull out a few thoughts from this passage. Verse 39, let's see it here. Chapter 15, verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them, Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Would you read verse number one aloud with me? Chapter 16, verse one. We'll begin. This is, we're going to look at the first five verses of this chapter today. Ready? Begin. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy, 
We believe that Timothy got saved during their first missionary journey, their first time through Lystra. And, uh, and, and, and Timothy was, had a Jewish mom. This was rare in these days to have a racially divided family like this, especially a Jew and a Greek. And uh, Timothy's mom was a Jew who had believed. She had become a believer in Jesus, a Christian. I personally believe probably during Paul's first missionary journey there, um, Eunice and Timothy trusted Christ as Savior. And then his dad was a Greek. His dad was not a Jew, was not brought up in that religion, and uh, probably was not a believer. And uh, the, the imperfect tense of was in the Greek there gives us the idea that Timothy's dad possibly or likely was dead and was no longer living. And then we come to verse number two, speaking of Timothy, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So uh, we, we have on that, that map we saw, we have them going to Derby and Lystra. Let's look at verse number three. Him, Timothy... Him would Paul have to go forth with him. He wanted to take Timothy with him. And took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Now this is a little bit of a troubling verse, Bill. Because I just preached to you the last two weeks that they settled this issue. They didn't need to do this stuff anymore. So does it seem like Paul is kind of compromising on the doctrinal unity? And when I read that, Craig, it kind of seems like, wait a second, Paul, you literally told them they, could, they, they couldn't circumcise Titus. Titus, that Greek that came. No, we're not doing that. Titus is a Gentile. He doesn't need that for salvation. He wants to take Timothy, and then it says that, and I'm going to stop. This isn't the message, but for a quick commercial, this seems like a contradiction of Paul's stance in chapter 14 and the battle that they had just fought in Jerusalem. Seems like a compromise of Paul's stand a chapter earlier, but it wasn't at all. You see, in, in rabbinic teaching, in the Jewish teaching, a man whose mom, a child whose mom was a Jew was, and dad was a Greek, was considered Jewish. And Paul knew Timothy would constantly offend the Jews if he did not have this done. I like what Kent Hughes said in his commentary on Acts. He said, Paul had strongly resisted circumcision in the case of Titus, who was a pure Greek, because the principle of Gentile liberty was at stake. But Timothy was both Jew and Greek, and uncircumcised, he would continually offend the Jews with no advantage to the cause of freedom, meaning his liberty would be a stumbling block to the gospel. So Timothy voluntarily removed, Kent Hughes said, the stumbling block to the gospel. So with Titus, Paul stood against legalism. And he said, we have liberty in Christ. And with Timothy, he said, let's limit our liberty for the sake of the gospel. That's not a compromise. What that is, is that's biblical wisdom. And there are some things that as Christians we can do that we shouldn't do because it may be a stumbling block to the Christian. And so Paul had wisdom with Titus. He stood for unity and the gospel witness. And I'm sorry, he stood, he stood against legalism with Timothy. He stood for unity and the gospel witness. Not doctrinal compromise, but wisdom in how to handle each situation while not compromising truth or giving unnecessary offense. As Christians, we ought not just, just flaunt our liberty in the face of somebody that it would turn them off to the gospel. Well, look what I can do. Well, if we know in that person that it would close their mind to the sake of the gospel, we should limit our liberty. Or as John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said in 1799, speaking of Paul, he said, Paul was a reed, meaning he would go with the wind in non-essentials. He would go wherever it went, whatever was best for the gospel. And he was an iron pillar in essentials. We need to stand strong for truth, 
and then be willing to limit our liberty if needed for the sake of the gospel. Now, let's finish the last two verses, 16 verses 4, 4 and 5. Chapter 16 verses 4 and 5. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. That verse just means as they traveled through these different cities, they preached Jesus crucified alone. They said you don't need, you don't need the legalism, you don't need the law. When I say the law, the law is not bad. You don't need to follow all these rules to get saved. Uh, the law points us to a Savior. It points us to a Messiah. You don't have to worry about all of this. You need Jesus. They went and told what had been done in Jerusalem. Verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in numbers. Daily. For a few moments, I want to preach to us from these few verses. I want us to see the people of missions. I want us to see the people of missions and, and what does a successful local church missions program take and what does it produce? What does it, what is this all about, Missions Extravaganza? It is about us as a church functioning as God intended for us to function, reaching our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What does that look like? What did that look like at the church at Antioch? The people of missions, what does it take and what does it produce? Number one, I want you to see here what I see, the people of missions, number one. It takes people who go. People who go. What do we see here? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, also Barnabas and John Mark. People who go. By the way, I want to remind us, Timothy was probably in his late teens, early 20s. There were some young people willing to go. And Paul was definitely older than that. There were some people who had had a whole career and he changed his career when God changed his life and he was willing to go. Missions is not, not to one generation or the other. Missions is for all of us. There were people who are going to make a shocking statement here. This might shock you. There is no missions program without missionaries. Revolutionary. If we want to have a missions program, guess what we need? We need people who will be willing to go. Simply put, we need more Christians who will take the gospel to those who have never heard. Let me read you some startling statistics from a missions, a missions website, a missions statistics website. You heard some of this from Brother Boyle's pr uh, presentation. The ratio of unreached people group workers to the total unreached world is one missionary for every 216,000 people. Let me put that into Orange County statistics. By the way, when you heard the word unreached people group, what that means is there are less than 2% of that people group that profess Christ. Less than 2% in that, and for many of them, it's down into the just, you know, tenths of a percent. Less than 2% of the people profess to be Christians or know Jesus Christ. And for those people around our world, many of which he mentioned, 90% of which are in the 1040 window, there is one missionary for every 216,000 people. If we were to do that math in Orange County, what that would mean is there would be 15 vocational Christian workers, 15 for all of Orange County. We have 35 on our staff at this one church here today. So it would be firing 20 of our staff, keeping 15, and closing every other church in Orange County down. For three million people. That's the percent. Guess what? You know what we need? We need some people who will go. The reason the gospel spread to all of these areas was because Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark and Timothy were willing to go. And there are 78,000 evangelical Christians for every one unreached people group. Let me say that again. 
For every one, you, you heard it, there's about 6,700 unreached people groups in the world. There are 78,000 evangelical Christians for every one unreached people group. Do you think that God is not calling more people to go? Or do you think that we are not heeding his call? Based on what we know of the heart of God, that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, what do you think is more likely, that God is not calling or that God's people are not going? Is God to blame for not calling people uh, to missions? If that is true, if every one of us, you and me, and I, by the way, I've had to answer this question in my heart multiple times through my Christian life. There was a season I, I, I didn't know what God was doing in my life, and I printed a list of countries, and I prayed fervently, God, are you sending me? I'd already been in vocational ministry for over a decade. God, are you sending me? Are you calling me to one of these countries? And by the way, God could still change and call me this week to another country. I'm open to that. But, but I, want, I hope that all of us are. If every one of us is obeying God's calling to be a missionary wherever we are, then listen to this. God is calling 99.9995% of people to work among the 44% of the world population that already has the gospel. And he is calling 0. 0.00. 0.5% to relocate among the other 55% of the world population that are not Christian people groups. You have a better chance of being in a plane crash as a, as a Christian than being one of the few missionaries to the unreached. In light of God's word, this, this website says, this seems unfathomable and it appears to be almost complete disobedience on the part of the church worldwide to go make disciples of all nations. And listen to this. Financially, we are hoarding 99.99% of our income to ourselves, and what little is given is mostly directed toward reached people groups. Is God calling less people to share the gospel, or are less people heeding and answering the call? Is God calling you and calling me to do something more for the sake of getting the gospel out around the world? That's a question I want all of us to answer this week. That may not mean relocating. But is God calling you and me to do something more for the sake of getting the gospel out around the world? It was the heartbeat of Jesus. It's what he told his followers. I want you to give your lives to getting the gospel, the good news of Jesus around the world. What are we doing as it relates to world evangelism with our resources, our time, our prayer? How much are we praying that God would send forth laborers into his harvest? How much are we praying for our missionaries? How much are we giving? How much are we considering going? What are we doing? I notice here that Paul was willing to go in spite of disappointment. Paul was willing to go in spite of disappointment. What had just happened? He and Barnabas, friends of nearly two decades, ministry partners, one of his mentors, had, had se separated ways. You know, sometimes for us, we're all excited about whatever God has called us to, and then some disappointment comes in. And some difficulty comes in. And what we were excited about trying to get the gospel to Orange County, and God, would you use me? And I'll get involved in that, and I'll teach that little kid's class, and I'll pass that tract. And some disappointment comes in our life, and it's like, well, I don't know if it was really worth serving God after all. I lived for him, and that happened. Paul could have said that, but what do we see? Paul and Barnabas, there was a sharp contention. They divided. What was the next step? They went. Paul said, I'm not going to let disappointment in my life keep me from fulfilling God's plan and calling in my life. They went in spite of difficult circumstances. What happened the last time they went? Anybody remember? Among other things, do you remember Paul being stoned and left for dead? Remember that? Can we put that second map back up there? Anybody remember where that was? That was in Lystra. They were coming, that was on the tail end. They were coming this way last time. 
It was on the tail end of their journey last time, but now Paul, God has sent them up this way, and the fir- one of the first places we see, what does it say in verse 1? Then came he to Derby and Lystra. Lystra, where, where Timothy and his mom were very likely saved. Remember, you can go back to the other slide. Remember Paul had, had when, when Paul had been saved, what was one of the big things that worked in Paul's life? Watching Stephen get, get stoned to death. You remember that? And the Bible says there was Saul standing there watching. We covered that. So Saul watched Stephen suffer for the cause of Christ, and it, it did something in his heart. Very likely, Timothy was there at Lystra and watched, was in the crowd watching Paul get stoned to death. And you know what Paul and Silas said? In spite of difficult circumstances, in spite of danger, in spite of my, what might come, God, you have my life. I'm afraid, myself included, I'm probably the first one here. God has my life as long as it's comfortable. God has my life as long as it's easy. God has my life as long as the bills are paid. God has my life as long as things are going good. God has my life as long as no one's in the hospital. God has my life and in, in, through all of those things. But what about when the circumstances are difficult, does God still have our lives? Well, God, I went out to tell people about Jesus last time and I almost died in Lystra. And you want me to go back to Lystra? And Paul said, absolutely, I'll go. Those people need you. I'll go right back to that group of people that that killed you. And and I'm glad there was a teenager named Timothy who was willing to go in spite of potential danger and difficult circumstances. He said, I'm not going to let difficulty stop me from fulfilling God's plan and God's will for my life. Church, we need some more people who will go forward for God in spite of the disappointments they've encountered and the difficulties they've endured. Can I say that statement one more time? We need some more people who will go forward for God in spite of the disappointments they've encountered and the difficulties they've endured. Who are the people of missions? Talk to me right up there. Number one, people who what, church? People who? People who what? Go. Number two, people who support. Verse 40. Verse 40, then he came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. That's not verse 40, that's verse 1, I don't know why I read that. Verse 40, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. They had a home, verse 1's a good verse, I just don't know why I read it there. They had a home church that supported them. They had a sending church that recommended them. They prayed for them. They, they supported them. They helped them. All through Paul's missionary journeys, what do you see? You see churches providing his needs, supporting him. Now, he worked hard, and he helped provide his own needs, but there were churches, and he talked about it. There, there were churches that, that ministered to him in great ways and great generosity, financial support and prayer support and spiritual support. And if we're going to see the world reach with the gospel, we need some people who will go. Is God calling you to go? If he is, I hope you'll say yes. Is God calling me to go? By the way, if he's not calling us to go there, he is calling us to go where he's placed us. But we need people who will support. The home church supported them. By the way, Timothy, I believe based on what we read here, I think Timothy had support. His mom and grandma, Eunice and Lois, these people that love Jesus, that he had support. Imagine, what if you were Eunice, Timothy's mom? Little Tim comes, teenage Tim comes, hey mom, I figured out what I want to be when I grow up. Awesome, Tim. What's that? I want to be a missionary. A mission what? What's a, where'd you hear that word? What's a missionary, son? I always thought you were going to be a blacksmith or, or a shepherd or anything but a tax collector. What, what are you talking about, a missionary? Well, that's someone who goes and tells people about Jesus, Mom. Well, that sounds good, son, but 
How are you going to make money doing that? You're not living in my basement your whole life. While you go around Lister telling people about Jesus, you got to, son, it's time to grow up. You got to, no, 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 mom, I'm not staying at your house. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to be telling people about Jesus in Lystra. No, no, I'm going with Paul and Silas. I'm going wherever Paul went. Imagine being Eunice. Wait a second. You're going where? With who? You remember when Paul came through, he almost died? I don't want to lose my little boy. I don't want to see, son, I don't want to come to your funeral. No, 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 no. Remember that about five years ago? Paul, Paul was just about dead when the mob turned against him. That'd be how many of us would feel, wouldn't it? Son, daughter comes and says, I think God's calling me to do this. Take that step of faith. God, well, son, I've always wanted you. I paid for that college education so that you would. I've always wanted you to get good grades so you could. I always, son, you're supposed to. What about the family business? What about the father's business? And I'm not against if if a kid goes into the family business, if that's what God wants. That's not wrong. But as as parents, do we support that they are God's children, not ours? And son, if that's what God wants you to do, we would rejoice. And they had family support. We need more families that would be thrilled if their children followed God's leading to take the gospel anywhere in this world. And it's easy for me to say, I haven't had to face that with my children yet, but I, I think God knows my heart. And my wife and I have talked. We would rejoice if God would use our children anywhere in whatever vocation or capacity that he has. And if that's a gospel preaching missionary on a foreign field, we would rejoice that God would use them in that way. We have here, uh, we have the Rasmussen's and their daughter and son-in-law are are missionaries here this week going to Peru. And they're here hanging out with the grandsons as long as they can because it's supposed to be December that they go to South America to take the gospel. There's some people right here that are saying, son, son-in-law, daughter, we love you. We support you. Go tell everybody you can about Jesus. They're not our children. They're his. Your life is not yours. It's his. We need people who will support. Missionaries need financial support. How can they preach, the Bible says, except they be sent? And we are told that the income of evangelical Christians, that's kind of the biggest grouping of those that would profess Christ. The income of evangelical Christians is $7 trillion annually. Of that, $45 billion goes to missions. $45 billion is not a, a bad number to, to, to shake a stick at. You know what percentage-wise that is of the evangelical Christians' income? Percentage-wise, it's less than 1%. 0.6% to be exact. 0.6% of our income as evangelical Christians is going to get the gospel around the world. I wonder why there are so many unreached people groups. We have people that are not willing to go, and unfortunately sometimes, and I'm not tra- this is not a guilt trip. This is hopefully a Bible message with true facts aligned with it. We are unwilling to support we, we, about 6.4% of what is given to all Christian causes goes to missions. So about 6% of what we give to Christian causes goes for something outside of our American churches and ministries. I'm thankful that in our church budget, that number is above 20% of what comes in in our annual budget goes to missions. But I would love to see that number get much higher than 20%. I would love to see us get to the place that we're debt-free and we can see 30 and 40 and 50% going to missions. But, but it's going to take some people that will support. By the way, that $45 billion that goes to missions, coincidentally, is all also how much we spend on dieting programs every year. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? According to one missions statistic website, 
Evangelical Christians could provide all of the funds needed to plant a church in every one of the 6,700 unreached people groups with 0.03% of their income. The church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. If every evangelical were to give 10% of their income to missions, we could support 2 million new missionaries. We have five missionary families that are here with us this week. Did you know that we could have, with people that have contacted us very easily, we could have had 50 here this week? Very easily. And I'm not, this is not a guilt trip. God knows my heart. I, I, our church is an amazing church, a generous church. I believe uh, our, last year, well over a quarter of a million dollars was given toward missions here at our church. I'm thankful for that. Please, I'm not trying to manipulate you or guilt you. What I'm saying is the more we support and the more we go, the bigger dent we can make for the cause of missions around the world. We need people who will go and who will support. What's the third person of missions that we see? The third people group we see. We see people who need to be reached. Verse 4, and as they went through the cities, what were those cities? Those were places where before their last trip they had never heard the gospel. There are 7.8 billion people on earth, and as you heard today, about 3.2 billion of those are considered unreached. Is that because God doesn't care about half the world? God is not willing that any should perish. It's because we have disobeyed our command to go into all nations to preach the gospel and to make disciples. There are people that need to be reached, and we'll see this week on video presentations, billions of people Many that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And, and is it fair that we should hear it every week while those people will live and die, never hearing it once? Missions, what does it take for a good, thriving missions program from the local church? People who will go, people who will support. We need people who need to be reached. By the way, that group is there. And then lastly, I see in this passage, we see people whose lives are changed. Verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. When people go and people support and take the good news to people who need to be reached, you know what the power of the gospel does? It changes lives. Souls are saved. People are converted. Acts is an explosion of changed lives. Paul is a changed life, and he goes, and people support him, and he goes to people who need to be reached, and guess what happens? A guy like Timothy and Eunice, they're reached, and now Timothy goes, and people support him, and they go to people that need to be reached, and guess what happens? Acts is an explosion. You see it in verse number five, and they increased in number. What's that word, the last word of verse number five, church? They increased in number how often? How often? Daily. That's a pretty good church growth. Every day lives were being changed. Did you know the sun never sets on the ministry of Liberty Baptist Church through our missions program? Literally every day through the missionaries and missions eight, uh, partners that you support with your prayer and finances, every day lives are being changed. That's the plan. That's what God wants. Lives are being changed daily. This is what happens when we say yes to going. And this is what happens when we say yes to giving. And we'll see and hear testimonies this week of lives that have been changed all around the world. People converted, churches started, families restored, family histories forever different, cities turned to God. That is missions. I want to review with you and I'm going to wrap it up. Why do we do all of this? Because God's called us to and we see it in Acts, the people of missions. Number one, the people of missions in the book of Acts are people who what, church? People who... People who what? Go. Number two, people who support. Number three, people who need to be reached. And then number four, when we go and support people whose lives are changed. I want you in closing to think about 
how you came to know Christ. Or if it was your parents that told you, how did your parents come to know Christ? Trace it back, if you know the history, to where your family was first introduced to Jesus Christ. How did that happen? I would tell you, undoubtedly it happened because somewhere, maybe a year ago, maybe 100 years ago, maybe 500 years ago, there was somebody willing to go. And there were some people willing to support, and your family needed to be reached, and your family was forever changed. For me, the path of the gospel in my life started before I was born. I was born in 1978 in San Jose, California. Three years before that, 1975, about 20 minutes away from where I was born was a city called Santa Clara, California. And in that city, in 75, there was an architect. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I can't really have a part in missions. Whatever God has given you, whatever talents and abilities, he wants you to use it for the sake of the gospel. And it may be in Orange County, and it may be in another state, and it may be in another country. He wants you to take your gifts, your abilities, your spiritual gifts, and use them to reach as many people as you can. And there was an architect. And you know what this architect would do? He would go to different cities. He did this several times. And he would help get a church off the ground, and he would build a little A-frame building. In fact, there are multiples, the same blueprints, multiple of these churches that were built all up and down California by this architect. He wasn't a pastor. He would go and help a church get planted and get, and he would do the labor, get the church building built. And after he'd been there six months or so, he would get a pastor to come in and he would give the church over with a small group of people in a building and then that church would go. Well, 1975, he went and, and he went to that city to get that building built. And about nine months after Al Rutledge was his name, after about, about nine months after he started that new church in Santa Clara, there was a 24-year-old newlywed, inexperienced young pastor that came to take the pastor of that small fledgling church. On their first Sunday night that he was there, and I think we have a picture of that small church building and that young pastor and his wife. On that first Sunday night he was there, there were 22 people in church. Just a little church, 1976, nine months after it was started. I was born two years later in 1978. And and around the same time that Al Rutledge was helping to get that church off the ground in Santa Clara, an 18-year-old high school graduate left home in Florida, drove in her car 3,000 miles, relocated to the Bay Area. There were some family issues she wanted to try to get away from and had a friend out in California. And so she came and relocated to the San Jose area. She didn't know it when she came in 75 as an 18-year-old, but by age 22, she would have a child, and that child was me. For the first nine years of our lives, church and God had nothing to do with us. Or I should say we had nothing to do with it. Had no place in our lives. God in the Bible had no part in our lives. But in 1988, that pastor there and his wife and now a larger church, a new building they had built, they had a big outreach day. And he was now a 36-year-old pastor. He had been at the church for about 12 years. And he led his church to go. And some people supported it. And I look back, that event had to cost several thousand dollars that they did. Some people gave and some people went. And there was a lady in their church that he said, they said, invite your coworkers and tell people about Jesus. And this lady, Denise England, talked to her coworker, Bobby, at that time, Bobby Thompson, my mom, and said, would you come and bring your nine-year-old son? And there were people who needed to be reached 
And I came into that church building in Santa Clara, California, and heard uh, that that pastor, 36-year-old pastor, preached from John 3, marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. By the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, marvel not. Don't be amazed that I say unto you, you must be born again. You need to accept Jesus Christ into your life. You need to trust him for eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins. And I sat there. My life was forever changed in that church that was planted three years before I was even born. Why? Because in our architect church planner was willing to go and some people were willing to support and give that building wasn't built for free and a 24 year old pastor and his wife who by the way became my mother-in-law and father-in-law I married their oldest daughter a 24-year-old pastor and his wife were willing to go, and some people were willing to support them, and, and they were willing to reach out and say, we've got to reach some people in the Bay Area for Jesus Christ, and people supported it and went, and a church member was willing to reach out to a coworker, church family, that right there is missions. That's the people of missions. People willing to go, and people willing to support, and people who need to be reached, and people whose lives are changed. And so now my question to you is, what will you do with this message. What part of missions will you have? What is the takeaway or the summary of this passage for me today on missions Sunday morning, missions extravaganza? Here it is. If you will not personally get involved in increasing the number of the first two sets of people, those who will go and those who will support, you and I will automatically adversely affect the numbers of the second two sets of people, those who need to be reached and those whose lives are changed. Let's be a missions-minded church family. Let's be a missions-minded. Let's be like the church at Antioch, a missions-minded pastor and church family. It's God's plan for reaching the world, and it works. But you and I have to decide, will we be a part of the first two sets of people? Will we go and will we support? If we will, We'll find those who need to be reached, and we'll see the gospel change their lives. We don't have to change their lives. The gospel will do it. If we won't, the statistics that we all hear that we hate to hear about how the unreached people groups are getting bigger, they'll only get worse. The, 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 the spiritual state of Orange County, if we're not willing to go and support, will only get worse. But if we'll go and we'll support God, his word is strong enough. He's not willing that any should perish. Let us Ask ourselves, will we be people of missions? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.